Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, February the 16th, 2023. It is currently 1.46 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology, Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Imagine that. I messed up. <laughs> if if you only knew how much I loathe when I mess up. If you had any idea the emotions that pour through me when I make a mistake like that. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have to do this one more time. Good afternoon. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, February the 16th, 2023. It is currently 1.47 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio, located right here in Abilene, Texas. Was, was that better? I mean, if, if you mess up, all you really can do is, is try again. There's a lesson somewhere in that, but I have no desire to learn that lesson. I want to do it right the first time. I want to get it right the first time. Don't you want to get it right the first time? Don't you? Well, here's what I've learned when it comes to Christianity and theology. We rarely get it right the first time. In fact, we never really get it right if you think about it as far as our Christian life is concerned because we sin and we fall and we stumble and we sin and we fall and we stumble and we sin and we never really get it right. I mean, you know, we we may feel like, oh, today I did pretty good in my Christian life and then we wake up and tomorrow happens, right? And then you're like, wait a minute, how did I do that? Why was I thinking that? Why was I desiring that? And even if we get one thing right, even if we get 15 things right, even if we were to get to really like just, you know, go above expectations and we get a hundred things right, there's always something going wrong in our Christian life because we're never in complete conformity to the holiness of God. We fall short of that standard in thought, word, and deed, internally, externally, by what we desire, constantly we're in some type of failure and sin. And that is so, at at times it can be discouraging. At times it can be devastating. And you say, so what, what, what do you do with this constant perpetual state of just never getting it right? You're, you're never perfect. The only, my only hope is that what I have to do is remember what I am in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, because of the imputed righteousness, I am perfect. I am holy. I am 100% obedient. obedient. I do everything the way I'm supposed to in Christ Jesus. That's my only hope. That's what I have to cling to. So in my Christian life, I'm going to fall short. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. Nobody should excuse that, but that's reality. To deny that reality is crazy because that's the reality. Just like I messed up, you know, you know, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. It is Thursday. I'm coming to you live from the, whatever I said, Theology Central Studio. 
just making that mistake really is a very good illustration of the Christian life every day. It may be something as small as just not saying the Theology Central Studios correctly. It may be just getting the date wrong or the time wrong. It may be mispronouncing a word. It may be those insignificant things, those insignificant things in our Christian life that we may not even, maybe maybe we don't even want to give much weight to them, but they're there every single day and we fall short all the time. And so we have to just understand how do we have to embrace that reality and embrace that struggle and have a theology that not only will embrace the reality of our constant sin, but realize our hope is not looking to us passing some artificial test. Our only hope is looking to the finished work of Jesus Christ and realizing what I am in my position because of imputed righteousness. But there's another area in the Christian life where we never really ever get it all right. And that is the area of theology. We never get it right. We're always struggling. We're always struggling. And I and and I I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan really and I know this some people misunderstand this, but I'm not a fan sometimes. Look because I I think people misunderstand this because in one way I am this way, but the other way I hate this. So let me try to explain. I think as Christians, we have to be in a constant awareness that we're, that we are not. And now, and now about this, I will be dogmatic about it. Every Christian needs to have a constant awareness that we are not infallible. We are fallible. Every Christian needs to acknowledge that what we believe is based off our interpretation of scripture and someone else who's just as committed to the scriptures, just as committed to study will come to a radically different opinion. So, so we have to realize that our conclusions are based off our interpretation and that other people will have a different interpretation. And that is maddening, but it's just a reality, meaning that we, we don't, there's not just one easy answer. There's not one commentary. There, there's millions of commentaries that disagree with each other. There's just not one denomination. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of different groups all claiming different things. We have to realize that we're not infallible and that we never truly, that, that, that we, that, that our interpretation, that our, our conclusions are based on our own interpretation. We're not infallible and our conclusions are based on our own interpretation and everyone has their own interpretation, which leads to the spiritual chaos. We have to just acknowledge this. I don't like it, but we have to acknowledge it. Now, at the same time, though, I do believe that once you've kind of determined that this is true, you need to proclaim it as true. You need to proclaim it that based off your understanding of Scripture, this is what you believe right now. But even when you are kind of dogmatic in that way, there always needs to be this attitude of, well, maybe, maybe I could be wrong here. Maybe I could be, maybe, maybe I could be, maybe I should check it. Maybe. And always are checking and, and testing and one of the ways, at least, I try to check and test myself is I'm constantly listening to sermons so that I can be confronted with ideas and, and, and interpretations and perspectives that I may have not considered or not even thought about, or maybe I have forgotten about, so that I can be challenged once again. I Whatever I believe today, I'm always willing to change it tomorrow. I'm always willing to, and I think as in theology, we never really get it right. We're just always struggling to get it right. 
in our practical Christian life, we're always in sin. And in theology, we're always striving to get it right, even though there's plenty of things we probably don't. And that's the, the, the uncomfortable world of Christianity. So, But I do like to listen to sermons. I do like to hear sermons so that my perspective can be challenged. And the reason I'm mentioning that is, well, a, a little while ago, I don't know, 30 minutes ago, 45 minutes ago, someone sent me a link. Maybe it was an hour ago at this point. I don't know. But over the last hour or so, a listener sent me a link saying, could you review this sermon? Now, they didn't tell me if it was good. They didn't tell me if it was bad. They didn't tell me if there's something specific or if there's nothing specific. So I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do for them, but I do know this. I, do, I think all they really want is a review. I don't know. I, 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 they just want an honest uh, review. And so that's what they're going to get. I'm going to look at this as an opportunity to hear a sermon I've, I, because you know how I do my reviews. I don't listen to a sermon first. No, 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 no. We listen to it together. And guess what we're going to do? As we listen to this together, I want us to remember that none of us are perfect. We are all sinners. And our only hope is the imputed righteousness of Christ. And to realize that we're not infallible and that any conclusion I give you is based off my interpretation of scripture and that we're all struggling to get theology right. But I believe, yes, that there is a right way of understanding and a wrong way of understanding. So I will be dogmatic. But even in being dogmatic, I hope it's very clear that I, I am truly listening to try to learn. I'm not listening just to be critical because I don't know. That's one of the reasons I don't listen beforehand. Because, see, if I listen beforehand, I could be like, man, this sermon is trash. That'll be good for, for the podcast. But I don't do that. I listen in real time so no one can accuse me of having some, you know, some agenda. There's no agenda. I'm just listening and learning. And I don't know if this is going to be good. I don't know if this is going to be bad. I don't know by the time we're done, it's going to be a train wreck. I can tell you this. The sermon is almost 50 minutes long. So we know we're not going to get this review done in one in one episode. There's no way. This is probably going to take four to five hours but we'll just do a little bit now. Maybe we'll do a little bit later. I, look, I know there's a million other things I could be talking about today, right? I mean, everyone wants to talk about the Asbury, uh, the Asbury um, revival. And now uh, what's Cedarville University, supposedly revivals breaking out there. I, th there's a lot of things that we could talk about today in regards to all of that. I, I don't know how much value I can really add to the ongoing just debate raging about it. I think in some ways it's best to sit back and just let it play itself out, and then we're going to see. But there are some, some issues pertaining to it that we will address. But when someone emails me and says, hey, can you review a sermon? I want to look at it as an opportunity for me to be challenged and for me to see what I, I'm going to, to learn. But I, I do hope that in a roundabout way, the beginning illustration, hey, welcome everyone. I'm coming to you live from the, the, the okay, let me try that again. That mistake is very illustrative of the fact that we live our Christian lives constantly never doing everything right. We're always doing something wrong. And when it comes to theology, and our only hope there is the imputed righteousness of Christ. And when it comes to theology, we got to remember, we are not infallible. We are fallible. And that all of our interpretations, all of our conclusions are based off our interpretation of Scripture. 
Everyone has their own interpretation and everyone thinks they're right. Can we not approach that with a little bit of humility? So I'm going to, I now I'm going to be dogmatic when I think something is wrong. I'm going to say it's wrong, but I do. I'm very aware that it's based off my interpretation of scripture and I'm, I'm fallible, but I am going to do my best to learn. This is in uh, a sermon on Romans eight. Now the only problem, only problem is this is like part three of a series. And so we're coming in on part three. That puts me at a massive disadvantage because I have no idea what we said in part one or part two, and I have no idea what's said after. I have no idea what's even said in this sermon, but we're going to jump in and we're going to see what we can do. Hopefully this will be beneficial. And uh, I I think most people like the sermon reviews. I think, I think, I think they do. No, actually, that's not true. I've gotten definitely some negative emails on, on sermon reviews. So some people hate them and people, some people say, you're an idiot, you're garbage. And, and, and a lot of people are like, you need to prepare more. That, that would kind of destroy the way we do sermon reviews. I can't prepare, right? Because I don't listen to it in advance, right? This is real time, no safety net, no editing, no, no producer sitting behind a glass talking into my ear. This is just me, a sinner who's very, very much fallible who doesn't get everything right, sitting in front of a microphone saying, hey, let's listen to a sermon together and let's see what we learn. So grab your Bible, open it up to Romans chapter eight. I, um, I, I'm not gonna even tell you where this church is located or the name of the church because it's not really about ever going after anyone particular unless I'm really, there's a major issue we have to deal with. Typically it's just like, hey, here's a sermon. In this case, someone emailed me an hour ago and said, can you review this? And for the low, low price of $157.42. I said, yes. Okay, I'm joking. I did not charge the person for this service, okay? If I was charging by the hour, it would be far more than $157. I'm joking, I'm joking. All right, are you ready? A little levity. But let's remember, we're all sinners. Nobody gets it right. We're all very fallible, and all of your conclusions are based off your own interpretation of Scripture. And someone sitting right next to you could read the same Scripture and come to a very different conclusion based off their interpretation. That's why in some ways Christianity can be so maddening because everyone thinks they're in, everyone acts like they're infallible, and everyone acts like their interpretation is authoritative. But yet at the same time, I understand that that's all I can do is interpret the scripture and then preach it as authoritative. But at the same time, there's got to be a part of me that acknowledges my own fallibility. How we balance that, I don't know if anyone's ever figured it out, but I'm still trying. Here we go. Romans chapter 8. This was preached, I think, January the 22nd, 2023. Here we go. Amen. Now, if you are able, would you please take your Bibles and stand with me once again as we read God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5. God's word reads, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Okay, we're in Romans chapter 8. Oh, wow. This is going to be, uh, oh boy, I, I don't, I, <laughs> Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. There's so much that we could, could be said here. And uh, let's just, let, can we just be honest? Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans 8, Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11. I mean, which is the most difficult? Which is the one most controversial? We spent, remember all the sermon reviews we did on the whole discussion about Romans chapter 7? And no, Paul, Paul was not describing himself as a saved person. He was pretending to be someone who wasn't saved. Remember all of that discussion? So, um, man, you just never know. You never know where these things are going to go. But let's just jump in and uh, let's see. So just sit back, Romans chapter 8. There we go. Uh, very just very somber reading. So very reverent kind of atmosphere. So here, let's see where we're going to get. So far in Romans chapter 8, we've been discussing what it looks like to live in Christ, to live by the Spirit, which is given to us by God himself. And it's promised, the Spirit is promised to us because of what Christ said in his word. After me, the Spirit will come, the helper. And the Spirit of God certainly is a helper to us. Not just a helper, but the helper. The divine helper. Okay. Here we go. All right. We're, 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 man, it did not take long. It did not take us long here. As soon as we, I mean, it's like on your, you know, on your mark, get set, go, stop. We got to stop. Okay. Let's, can we just be very, very, very honest here that in 2000 years of church history, there is a lot of disagreements on what the Spirit actually does in us and through us, right? He is the helper. He's the comforter, right? What does that look like? He helps me do what? Some say he helps me see the future because he gives me visions and dreams. He helps me uh, raise the dead or heal the sick. He, he helps me see like, oh, I know what sin you're committing because he gives me some kind of special gift of discernment. He helps me speak in tongues so that I can speak this language. He helps, he gives me prophecies. He gives me dreams. He gives me visions. Some say that, hey, it's the Holy Spirit who helps me understand the scripture. So my interpretation has to be basically infallible. And why can it be infallible? Because ladies and gentlemen, my interpretation came from the Holy Spirit. Like, like there's all, and some will say the Holy Spirit gives me the power to, to live the Christian life. Okay. Does that mean I can be sinless? Well, no, you can't be sinless. So uh, how, how to, 
or someone just says, he, he helps me live just like Jesus did. That, that's a lot of people say that. I can live just like Jesus did, meaning perfect and holy. And, and well, I mean, no, I can't be perfect. So it's always this like, he helps me, but is there a limit to the help? What does the help look like? What does he do? What does he not do? And, and nobody, what always drives me crazy within the church is nobody wants to ask these questions, right? It's just like, it's like, come to church and be told, you have the Holy Spirit, now you've got help. So if you're dis- if you're depressed, you've got the Holy Spirit. He'll comfort you, he'll make you feel better. If you're, if you are struggling with sin, well, you've got the Holy Spirit, just rely on him and you won't struggle with that sin anymore. It, you, you, whatever it is, you've got, you've got this built-in power supply that is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, basically to get you to Christian perfectionism. However, we always back up and go, but, 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 but we can't get that far, which then is a little bit confusing because if the Holy Spirit's the third person of the Trinity, meaning all-powerful God, why can't the all-powerful God who lives in me get me to perfection? And if he's the one who determines, if, if the spirit in me it determines what sins I can conquer and which sins I don't conquer, depending on when he wants to give power or withhold power or limit power, then my failure would not be me. It would be the Holy Spirit's fault because he's the one supposedly giving me the strength to overcome it. Or then you have to say, no, he gave me the strength to overcome it, but he didn't want me to get to perfection, but it's still my fault because I didn't supposedly use the power. Well, then the question would be, well, why didn't he overcome my not wanting to use the power? Now, I'm the one who asks these questions and everybody gets nervous and everybody gets, you know, if if I'm teaching this in church, you can just start seeing people start moving around in the the pews and, and you can almost see them just ready to go, you know, like try to tell me I'm wrong. And it's like, I'm not even trying to make a dogmatic assertion. I'm just asking questions. Hey, we've got the Holy Spirit in us. In fact, he, he is essential to your life. He, he's the one helping you. Okay, help me do what exactly? And is there a limit to his help or is his help unlimited? Can he help me get to sinless perfection? No. All right, so there's a limit. Or there's a limit either in power or there's a limit in intent. Well, if he's limited in his intent to help me, then how can you be sure when you tell me if I'm struggling with the sin to rely on the Holy Spirit because maybe he doesn't want to help me over that particular sin? Because clearly you would have to acknowledge there's there's a limit in his intent because he's not getting us to perfection. So if he's not getting me to perfection, can I look at you and go, well, the Holy Spirit's not helping me with this sin because clearly it's not his intent to help me. Like, these are questions that I, I just, I don't know why every Christian doesn't struggle with them. So the issue is, how much help does the Holy Spirit give? Is there a limit to that help? And what does that help look like? The one who we as Christians are indwelt by, we are sealed by the Spirit, who continually points us to Christ. Now, the sealing, that's a very objective thing. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption, therefore I am kept. All right, that's very objective, right? There's not really anything subjective about that. That's just simple, straightforward. We can figure that out. Boom. I, 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 I got no problem. Points me to Christ? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's a little bit more subjective, but at least you can kind of 
I, he's pointing me to Christ. I can understand that to some level. Now, how much, how does that exactly work? Does it not work? Does it always work? It, it, like, you know, th- there's questions there, but at least I, I, I'm somewhat okay with this. For that, in fact, is the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit, to point his people to Jesus Christ. And so as we're reading Romans 8, we've been reminded of what it looks like to be in Christ and to be led by the Spirit and to live for God's glory, walking away from sin and following the prompting, the power, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And the purpose in doing this is so that God would be glorified as we then fulfill the requirement of the law. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, okay, okay. I gotta back this up. 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 I'm not gonna say anything. I'm just gonna back this up. I'm gonna back this up. Gonna back this up. How do we? Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! I remember now. For any for okay, <laughs> for anyone who would like to contrast this with how we, yeah, I know. Okay, good. Someone caught the same thing I caught. All right, good. Someone in chat is like, "Whoa, we we fulfill, we fulfill, we." Yeah, I got I got problems, ladies and gentlemen. I got serious problems here. Okay, if you would like a contrast to this. You can, one, listen to the 70 plus hours we've done on Law and Gospel. Two, listen to our, what, four-year study through Romans. And we're not even done because we've taken this now 900-year detour. And it's not really a detour. It's just kind of a branch of our study in Romans to really address Law and Gospel. But uh, yeah, we've got some issues. I'm going to back this up because I do not want to, I don't want to dogmatically assert anything. Remember my whole opening illustration but I'm going to try to, in my own, knowing I'm fallible, try to at least address my concerns here. And so as we're reading Romans 8, we've been reminded of what it looks like to be in Christ and to be led by the Spirit and to live for God's glory, walking away from sin and following the prompting, the power Okay, so we we walk away from sin and we follow the prompting and the power. Are we following the power of the Holy Spirit or is it the power of the Holy Spirit that causes us to walk away from sin? And when you say walk away from sin, I know that this person, I, 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 I can almost guarantee, he wouldn't say, well, you, he would say, you don't walk away perfectly. Well then, okay. Oh, Christ, Christians and language Okay, either I'm walking away from it completely or I'm still walking. Do I walk away from sin or am I always walking in it in some way, shape, or form? I think we're always walking in it in some way, shape. Do we ever truly walk away from it? You may say, well, I walked away from that one sin. (laughs) Congratulations. There's about 927 billion others in your life. So, but it's weird. Like we walk away towards the power. Wouldn't we be walking because of the power? Am I walking to get the power? Or is it the power getting me walking? Why am I walking away from sin? 
Is it I choose to walk away from sin, and as I choose to walk away from sin, then I get the power? Or is it the power leading me to walk away from sin? I don't know. I mean, this is, it, which comes first, I think, is very, 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 very important. Oh, man. Okay. I didn't know what to expect. Oh, oh, this is going to be the longest sermon review maybe in the history of humankind. All right, here we go. This may turn into, we may have to create a series just for this, right? The Romans 8 Marathon. Okay, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to call it. All right, here we go. The guidance of the Holy Spirit. All right, now we have the Holy Spirit guiding us. Now, how does the Holy Spirit guide me? Now, see, I am, I, 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 this has always been my problem within the Christian world is we use phrases and sometimes we don't define phrase. Are you telling me the Holy Spirit guides me apart from scripture? Now see that immediately I'm going to disagree because now it's the subjective thing. Well, I believe the Holy Spirit is guiding me to do this. I believe the Holy Spirit is guiding me to do this. I believe the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay. That's subjective. Are you saying guide me through the scriptures? Now, when you say guide me through the scriptures, even that becomes somewhat subjective because see what, here's what can happen. I could argue I studied Romans eight and the Holy Spirit guided me into my interpretation, which would, which would infer that my interpretation therefore is infallible because it was guided by the Holy Spirit, meaning that no one can tell me that I'm wrong. You say, well, the, the Bible says he will lead you into all truth. No, I believe the Bible was promising the original disciples who wrote the New Testament, he would guide them into all truth, right? Uh, that, that I don't believe that he's telling me because if he was guiding us into all truth, there wouldn't be thousands and thousands and thousands of denominations and nobody can agree on anything. So when you say the Holy Spirit's guiding me, guiding me how? Through a prompting? Through a feeling? Through, through a, through, like, I, that is so subjective. You know why? Because where do feelings come from? They come, they arise from within me. What is inside me? A sinful nature. So that means my feelings are constantly corrupted and tainted by that sin. And you're saying, no, no, the Holy Spirit's in you. So it gives you a different feeling from the other feeling. And now you got to figure out which feeling is the right feeling and which feeling is the, that's just crazy and, and, and subjective. I, I open the word. I study this. Now, I know other Christians, uh, other Christians much more like this experiential kind of emotional kind of faith where the Holy Spirit's guiding me, prompting me, leading me, empowering me. And I know that's the language we use. What does that look like? Why, why is it that supposedly we have this power, this prompting and this leading and Christians make horrible decisions? Horrible decisions over and over and over and over and over and over from the practical to the spiritual. I made a horrible decision to start this broadcast without eating lunch, but that's okay because now I'm starving. All right. No, that's a joke. All right, here we go. I mean, I didn't eat lunch and I am starving, but the point is, is we make all kinds of decisions. Is it because we didn't listen to the prompting? Like, I, I don't know. And the purpose in doing this is so that God would be glorified as we then fulfill the requirement of the law. 
that we fulfill the requirement of the law. Now, I don't know where he's going, but he seems to ju- he seems to at least imply. Now, remember, sermon reviews. I have not listened to these first, but if I was if I was in a theology class, right, right now at a seminary, right? And we were all together and, and you know, I had everyone sitting around, got their notebooks. And I'm like, okay, I would, I would tell everyone stop and say, okay, ladies and gentlemen, all right, everyone in this theology class, here's what you're going to do today. You're going to go home and you're going to come back and tell me that are we saved so that we now can fulfill the law and our action by the power leading and prompting of the Holy Spirit or are we saved and now we fulfill the law in Christ who fulfilled it for us? Are you saved and given the spirit so now that you have the power and you can say, I can do the, I can fulfill the law. Now, if you're going to fulfill the law, it's got to be perfect. God's law does not call for imperfection unless you're, I mean, it doesn't, it's just, he, he, it calls for perfection. So are you saved so you get power so you can fulfill the law? And if you can fulfill the law, that ha- I know that person doesn't mean it, but that would almost require sinless per- It would have to require sinless perfection. It would have to. It would have to. So are you saved to get power so you can fulfill the law or are you saved and now you fulfill the law in Christ who filled it, fulfilled it for you and his passive and active obedience to the law is now imputed to my account. So I can say today, this sinner who sits behind this microphone, who has thoughts and desires that are so wrong, so improper that you would be shocked and think that I should never speak again, this sinner is an absolutely, perfectly obedient person to the law of God in Christ Jesus. Not because of what I do, but he he just literally just said that we've... Oh, wow. I am having so many difficulties with this. Okay, I'm going to back it up again. The guidance of the Holy Spirit... And the purpose in doing this is so that God would be glorified as we then fulfill the requirement of the law. Now, we will not do this perfectly. <laughs> so, he, so he, oh my goodness gracious. You can't say we're going to fulfill the, the law, but not do it perfectly. Not doing it perfectly is not fulfilling the law. Oh, Lord, I don't understand. 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 Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Someone just posted something. All right. So, okay. So in the chat's laughing at me. That That's always, that's always encouraging. So they're laughing at me. That's, that's good. Okay, let me not let me not be so dramatic. Let me not be so just for every, just for everyone's information for full transparency. Okay, at my family's 
big holiday extravaganza where we play all of the, it's my daughter. We have to play games and there are activities and there's, there's cash rewards and there's gift cards. And it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. But I guess I was nominated this year and I won. I have the trophy to show you. I was voted most dramatic. Okay. Now I, I one believe the vote was rigged and it was like, it was rigged. And, but the reality is, yes, I know I can be a little overdramatic, but it's not that I'm trying to be overdramatic. It's because I just tend to wear my emotions on my sleeve and not so much inside there. It's an external demonstration of my emotions. And my emotions are right now. It's like, you gotta be kidding me that because I have the spirit, I can fulfill the law, but I'm not going to do it perfectly. When, since when do you fulfill the law? Look, if I could fulfill the law by not doing it perfectly, why did I need Jesus? All right, someone just says, I think people don't listen to their own words. I know sometimes I don't listen to my own words. I, I know that. But I mean, I mean, I think that's a real question. If I can fulfill the law, why do I need Jesus? Because you're saying imperfection, the imperfect keeping of the law fulfills the law. Well, then I didn't need Jesus. I, 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 oh, man. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm opening up my uh, iPad really quick here. And I'm opening up the, uh, after so many comments come in, uh, when, when, uh, okay, someone just says that, uh, no, okay. Wait, wait. What? Why? 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 What is happening here? Okay. Now, now people are saying that that I am not the drama king. I am not. That is not true. I am not the drama king. I. What? What is happening here? Okay. People in chat. All of a sudden, chat just went crazy. Chat just went crazy. All right. I'm just having a hard time trying to process this because how can you literally say you get the spirit? So you can fulfill the law and then turn around literally and almost within a breath and say, but we're not going to do it perfectly. I, I don't understand. Do words have any meaning? And the purpose in doing this is so that God would be glorified as we then fulfill the requirement of the law. Now, we will not do this perfectly in this life we will fall we will fall short we will sin against God but we now have something that we did not have before as Christians we have the Holy Spirit okay so we can fulfill the law but we won't do it perfectly but that's fulfilling the law but we have something that we didn't have. We have the Holy Spirit. However, the Holy Spirit obviously can't get me to perfection. So the Holy Spirit's helping me, but it can't get me to perfection. But he can get me to fulfilling the law, but he gets me to fulfilling the law in an imperfect way, which is still fulfilling the law. So I, oh. Yeah. I don't understand. What, what is wrong with us? I'm trying to think of an illustration, but it just seems so crazy. Hey, I'm here to help you. 
but you're not, but I'm, but I'm not going to help you get to perfection, but you don't need perfection to fulfill the law. So, so now you don't need perfection to fulfill the law, but you can still fulfill the law in your imperfection. Even though I'm the Holy, the Holy Spirit, I'm all powerful. I'm here to help you, but I can't help you enough to get you to perfection, but I'm here to help you nonetheless. So just, just so you know, I'm here to help you. Hey, mom, dad, can you help me with the homework? Oh, I could definitely can help you with your homework, but let me make it very clear. I cannot help you enough to ensure that you're going to pass. But guess what? You just tell your teacher because dad helped me or mom helped me. I fulfill your standards, even though it's imperfect. I mean, I, does that, does that work? I don't know. I don't know what, in, I don't, what illustration do you use? It's like, it's like talking in circles. You can fulfill the law. You can't do it perfectly. but that will still be fulfilling the law, but you get the spirit to help you, but the spirit can't help you enough to do it perfectly. And what a privilege it is to be a Christian. All the human race is born into sin and all of us carry sin in our bodies. But the privilege of the Christian, one of the many, is that we've been given the Holy Spirit to subdue the power of sin in our life. Okay. So it can subdue it, but it can't subdue it enough. Now, if we write down the word subdue, if we write down the word subdue, We write down the word subdue. Let me see here. Let me write down, or I'm not write it down. I'm looking it up. Subdue definition. Subdue means to overcome, to quieten, or bring under control. So the Holy Spirit can bring under control sin. Well, if he brings it under control, then I shouldn't be sinning. that we can live a victorious Christian life. All right, so so now we can live a victorious Christian life. Obviously, a victorious Christian life is not one that is without sin, so I can sin and still be victorious. But how much sin can I sin and still remain victorious? Because clearly the Holy Spirit's there to so that I can be victorious, but the Holy Spirit's not there to get me to perfection. But I don't need perfection to be victorious, and I don't need perfection to keep God's law. So I can keep God's law by sinning, or in, while, while sinning, and I can be victorious while sinning. Yet the Holy Spirit's there giving me the power to subdue sin, but he just can't subdue it enough. This is perfectly clear. A life that is not looking to ourselves and certainly not following after sin, but a life that is looking away from ourselves, away from sin, and to God. All right, so now we can live a life where we don't look to ourselves. Wow, that's, that's, pretty, that's a big accomplishment that we no longer look to ourselves. I, I would like to find the Christians who no longer look to themselves because there's selfishness in every one of us. Every single day, you look to yourself constantly. If you never looked to yourself and you never thought of yourself, you probably would never have an argument or a fight with anybody. Okay, but, all right, I, I digress. All right. Um, so he almost makes it sound like, and we're, and we just, we just, we walk away from sin. He, see, he almost on one hand wants to try to use this language that sounds like we can be perfect. 
He almost wants to use the language to say that we're perfect, but he's already demonstrated that we, we can't be perfect, but somehow that's good enough to keep the law and still good enough to be victorious. And this text describes what that life looks like even further by describing two types of people. The Bible always talks about two types of people. There are only two types of people right now in this world, and there will only ever be two types of people. The Bible describes them as the righteous, the unrighteous, the saved, the lost, the believing, the unbelieving. And even that you've got to clarify a little bit because everyone believes in God. They just suppress the truth. Those who follow Christ, those who follow themselves. Because never has anyone who followed Christ ever followed themselves at the same time. Never has that occurred in the entire history of Christianity that a saved person followed themselves. It has never occurred once on this planet. At some points in scripture, it even describes the prideful and the humble. Let that sink in just a little bit. Never been a prideful Christian, never once, never has there. There's only humble Christians. And here we have another description of what the Bible has consistently been saying over and over and over again. Paul describes two types of people. Those who live, who are according to the flesh, who set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who live or are according to the Spirit and set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And just remember this one that, that, that has their uh, mind on the Spirit and walk after the flesh. How did he, let's see how he worded it. Let's, I'm going to make sure how he words it because everyone seems to forget this part. All right, hang on. Are according to the flesh, who set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who live or are according to the Spirit. Right, so there's this dichotomy, right? That he's saying there's these two kinds of people. Some have their mind on the flesh, and some have put their focus on the Spirit. Just remember how Romans 7 ends, the Apostle Paul describing himself. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that with my mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul describes this dichotomy as still remaining in him, that there's this conflict, that one part of him wants the law of God, but the other part well, still walks after the law of the flesh, still are after the sin of the flesh, still following the flesh. So just keep that in mind. Unless you're going to say Romans 7, Paul, when he says the things I want to do, I don't want to do, he wasn't saved. Then, And set their minds on the things of the Spirit. There was a a terminology given a few, maybe a decade or so ago, that described one as a Christian who could be a carnal Christian, a worldly Christian, a fleshly Christian. And the Bible says that's an impossibility. Oh, my goodness. All right. Yeah, this is this is straight. I've gone to schools where I had, where I was taught 
hey, there are no carnal Christians. I even had to write a paper saying, arguing that there was no carnal Christians. I had to go, went to schools that told me there are carnal Christians. Let me just read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now, he refers to them as babes in Christ, but yet he calls them carnal. Well, you can't be a babe in Christ and carnal and say that that's not referencing a Christian because they're referring to babes in Christ who are carnal. Now, I know all of the ways to try to work, to do all of the linguistics to try to get around this. But the point is, Paul constantly references the people at Corinth as believers over and over and over, and they're doing everything you can possibly do wrong imaginable. They're they're just, they're like, wait, what's something else? Hey, 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 it's been 15 minutes. Anyone got a new thing, a new law we can break? Anybody got a new sin that we could commit? Because I'm getting bored, getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, suing people. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting bored being arrogant and prideful and flaunting my spiritual gifts. I'm getting, I'm getting bored committing sexual immorality. Can you give me something better to do? That's basically how the church of Corinth was. You are either in Christ or you're not. And there's no riding the fence. There's no one foot in, one foot out. It's either you are in Christ, following the Spirit, or you are not. So you're either following the Spirit or you're not. So the minute I sin, I'm not following the Spirit because I wouldn't be following the Spirit, right? Then you're going to like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. You can be following the Spirit and yet committing sin. Well, how many sins can I commit and still be following the Spirit? If I commit 15 in a day, am I still following the Spirit? Now, we'll clarify that a little bit more the further we talk about this, but we need to have that sort of black and white picture and reality in our life. We live in a world. But that's the problem. It's not black and white. You know why it's not black and white? Because Christians sin all day long, every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so when you want to make it black and white, what you want to do is throw people possibly who are saved out of the kingdom of God and say, you can't be saved because you committed 17 sins. But these people over here, they committed 24 sins, but they're not the big sins. So they supposedly kept the law, but you didn't keep the law. And, and, and I guess now, if you, if you think about it logically, what he's basically argued is how do you know you're saved? You keep the law. I mean, not perfectly. So the proof of salvation is law keeping. And I'd be like, okay, fine. I do keep the law perfectly in Christ. World that's full of gray. (laughs) And people always want to find the gray area. They want to talk about those adiaphras, right? (laughs) They want to talk about those matters that maybe we could get to in the scriptures, but they aren't explicitly clear in the scriptures. And I'm just going, why don't we talk about the matters that are black and white? And what I find funny is the ones that you think are black and white, someone else may think is gray. And maybe it's not because they're liberal or there's something wrong with them. It may be because maybe the scriptures aren't as clear as we all want to pretend they are. Because if they were so clear, why weren't there thousands and thousands of different groups all claiming different truths? Paul was that way. He was not a man who was looking for gray in the middle issues. 
He was a man who was preaching, proclaiming, and pleading with people, reminding Christians, this is how it is. This is truth. Yeah, he's made it so clear that no one yet can agree on Romans chapter 7, that no one yet can agree on Romans chapter 8, that no one yet can agree on Romans chapter 9, that no one yet can agree on Romans chapter 10, that no one yet can agree on Romans chapter 11, that yet no one can agree on Romans chapter 2. Oh, wait, we're judged according to our works. Wow, why are we judged according to? I can go on and on through Romans where nobody agrees. And oh, comment constantly in commentaries are like, this is one of the most difficult passages to to uh, interpret. There's so many different interpretations, but uh, you're right. Paul went for that clarity, man. He wanted it black and white. So there's only one commentary on Romans. Yeah. It's the way things really are. And that's what we need more people who are about the truth. So let that. You can be about the truth and acknowledge the confusing nature of truth. That'd be one point of application for you. Now, Paul is a master teacher. And again, by way of introduction, this is all just trying to build up this argument. Okay, we're just going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there. I, I don't even know what else I can say at this point. Because, because here's what it comes down to. Here's what it comes down to. And, and, and I'm going to clarify here. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to find a pencil. Where's a pencil? Where's my pencils? I, uh, I, need, I need a pen. I got to write down the time. Seven minutes and 47 seconds. Yeah, I don't know where my, I, I've lost all, all my pencils. Everything's gone. Okay, so um, I'll have to just remember 747. Seven minutes and 47 seconds. If I don't remember, someone remember for me. Seven minutes and 47 seconds is where we stopped. We'll back it up maybe just about a second because we're right there where he's transitioning. So his introduction has made these I would want you to just write down the claims in his introduction right and just because once you get into the interpreting scripture then you're you're getting to a subjective fight well you interpret it this way I interpret it this way you interpret it this way I interpret it this way and then it just goes on and on and on and on and on and guess what nothing is ever accomplished so you know what instead of getting into the subjective never ending debate on how to interpret Romans chapter 8 I can get into the very objective details of your claims. Your claim is this. Now that we are Christians, we have the Holy Spirit. And because of the Holy Spirit, we now can keep the law. However, we keep the law imperfectly, but that still counts for keeping it. We have power where the Holy Spirit subdues sin, but he doesn't really subdue it because we still sin. We have power, but we, it doesn't, it's not enough power to get us to perfection. But somehow in our imperfection, it still means we keep the law and we can be victorious even though we're imperfect. However, if we're really, oh, and there are no carnal Christians. So on a roundabout way, even though he says we can't do it perfectly, even though he says we can fulfill the law, even though we do that imperfectly, even though he seems to say we still sin, then he goes on this kind of like, there can be no carnal Christians, and either you're following the Spirit or you're not. Either you're obeying or you're not. And basically, it's like, if you're not, you're not saved, and if you and if you are, you are saved. Because he wants it to be black and white. Even though he's already, he've already muddied it up and made it gray by saying you keep the law, but not really because you don't do it perfectly. 
but you're victorious. But I mean, you're not really victorious because you continue to sin. The Holy Spirit subdues sin, but you still sin. However, you're going to be victorious, even though you're still going to sin. So in other words, it's a subjective measurement on what's required. Uh, and that somehow you you can stop following yourself and, and, and follow Christ. All of those things, just go through, go back and you can go back and listen to everything he claimed. We, we should have just went through and started writing them all down. But you look at all those claims, it's, a, it's an absolute muddied mess. So whenever you start interpreting the passage... You have to, you, here's what's going to happen. He just made it muddy. Now he's going to go through the passage and try to say, see, it, it's clear. This is the way it is. But the way it is, it's always met with an asterisk. There's always an exception to the way this supposedly, that's the way it drives me crazy within Christianity. It's always like, this is the way it is. But, but reality is you're still going to sin. But I mean, you can't even be, you, just, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. So basically, the only way you can be saved, the only way you got you got to fulfill the well, I wouldn't even say you got to fulfill the law because he says you can fulfill the, fulfill the law imperfectly. I, I, I don't. You've got to have a victorious Christian life, but you can still sin. I, I don't know, but you've got power, and but you still sin, and it can subdue sin, but it's, you still sin, and and I, I, I don't, I don't know what that even supposed to look like. There's a level of sin that's acceptable and there's a level of sin that's not acceptable. So I don't know if it's 10 sins a day, five sins a day, 40 sins a day. And when I say that, people say, that's such a ridiculous. No, it's not a ridiculous argument because you're literally saying my salvation is, I know they would not say it's determined by, but you put it this way. My hope of, of any hope of me knowing if I'm saved is based on what I'm doing or not doing, not on what Christ did. Well, if I've, if you're going to make that, that it's about what I do and not do, or you can try to say what God is doing through me, well, then it's still these very practical applications. You've got to be able, then it's, then the burden of proof is on you to, to clearly delineate and clearly define this is how many sins, this is how much sin can be present, and this is how much sin can't be present. Typically, when you push that, they begin to water it down and water it down and water it down to basically you can say, that sounds like a carnal Christian. And how many sins does a Christian commit before they're carnal? Because once you become carnal, then you can't be saved because there's no carnal Christians. So you were never saved. How many sins makes one carnal? One, two, 10, 15, because, because those in Corinth are called carnal, but referred to as babes in Christ. So you just go back and listen to every claim he made, and then you try to see how it fits together in any meaningful, logical way. No matter what you want to do with the rest of Romans 8, no matter how you want to interpret it, You've got to interpret it in a way that acknowledges this utter confusion that he has put forth. And we'll stop for now. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. 
That's newsif at yahoo.com. I need food. So I'm going, I'm going to go find food somewhere. I'm going to go find food because now I'm just, I have a headache now. That's what I have. Because what in the world was that? That was the most confusing seven minutes and 47 seconds I've ever experienced in listening to a sermon. Again, that's not much of an exaggeration. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. If you figure it all out, give me any, I I, want to hear from you. All right, God bless.